Hey guys, welcome back to another podcast. Pretty excited for this one. Got my mate Jamie Smith from Melbourne Strength Culture on. Uh, If you don't know Jamie, he's a really bright guy, someone I respect a lot from a business standpoint. He runs, obviously, Melbourne Strength Culture, a gym in Melbourne, which is a challenging thing to do. Also does a lot of online stuff and all the coaches that work at Melbourne Strength Culture are really good. So really pleased to have him on board uh, for this podcast. He's also done some content for me on the Fitness Fundamentals membership site. If you want to check that out, just a little lecture on how to optimize your shoulder mechanics, things like that when training, um, which is pretty straightforward, but just the way he breaks it down is fantastic. I think he's really good at explaining stuff. Uh, In this podcast, we talk a bit about that stuff, a bit about business stuff and and that sort of thing. He's a pretty interesting guy. He's fun to listen to. I just wanted to mention that we actually spoke about this afterwards, and I think I should have said it at the time, but in the last couple of podcasts, I've spoken a bit more about uh, evidence-based stuff and kind of made fun of it a little bit. I'm certainly, if you know me, I'm very much research-based. I spend every day reading research, but I just want to acknowledge that that is not the only form of evidence we have and certainly shouldn't be the only form of evidence we use when coaching people or when making decisions. Uh, so we kind of get into that a little bit as well, but I think that was kind of what we were getting at, uh, even though we might not have said that explicitly. Anyway, like I said, I'm not one for huge intros, so just jump right in, see what you think, and uh, hopefully you enjoy. If you do, please give us a rating, um, share it around, tag us both so we can say thank you, uh, and otherwise, enjoy. Welcome to the podcast. I've got the one and only Jamie Smith on here. Oh. <laughs> uh, I know he loves that stuff. <laughs> <laughs> Mate, uh, I am excited to have you on because, um, you know, obviously we got a, we've been sort of interacting a little bit over 2019 and uh, really love the stuff that you do, like the way you think. Um, and so really just pleased to have you on board, man. Thank you. Thank you very much for passing me your platform for a little bit. Obviously, yeah, uh, a keen follower of yourself as well. Yeah. Um, yeah, we have a lot of sort of crossover with people that we follow, I think. But um, I was really interested to see, you know, you had a big sort of 2019, a lot of stuff going on. Um, what was your sort of take on the year as a whole? Oh, 2019 was massive for us. It was our, uh, so at Strength Culture, we'd been open, well, this is our fourth year. We started on the financial year, so we're sort of, I don't say our year start at the start of the year, but we're, we're in our fourth year right now. and. For anybody that has has set out the goal to build something that is obviously going to become hopefully something that they can hang their hat on and uh, really stand by and, and, and feel confident with how it's rolling. I think 2019 was the year that it sort of showed me the light that that is now a possibility that, that strength culture can actually become something. Uh, our business model and our business systems really set in, uh, are set in place now and they're, they're supporting the team that we've got, the four coaches myself included in that, which is really, really good. And I think all of us sort of took a step forward in, in realizing that, all right, we're, we're onto something here and we can actually start sort of build this. Prior to last year, I was in that grind phase yeah. of the business. <laughs> yeah, which I'm sure anybody, anybody can uh, sort of relate to, but uh, I don't know. So it's just a breakout year in general. I, I, my headspace is a lot better in terms of the business. Uh, in terms of like our confidence with what we're delivering and all that sort of stuff. And then obviously for myself as a coach, it was a, just a, a great year as well. Some, some athletes did really, really well. I picked up uh, one high-profile athlete, which has been absolutely awesome to be part of and, and seeing him develop a little bit more so and actually using my skill set on a far more advanced athlete has been awesome as well. So 
Mm. Just 2019 as a whole was was awesome. Was was great. Yeah, awesome. Fantastic year. What do you attributed that to? Is there anything like one or two things in particular that you think took you sort of up a notch? Uh, we we hit a in January. It would have been around about no, maybe maybe another month. Feb. It was actually the weekend we came up to City Strength in Sydney to do our Sydney seminars, our first interstate seminars. We sold really well, and, and like it was a like it was a big goal for myself personally. I. I I mirror what I want to achieve off Eric Cressy in America uh, and his and his business model, Cressy Sport, his business, Cressy Sports Performance. That's uh, where I did my internship. But um, seeing, watching him do a lot of like interstate seminars really set me up with a goal when I first started at, at Strength Culture or with Strength Culture to be like, I want to do interstate seminars. Like that's a that's a big goal for me. That's a big goal for what I want to achieve. And we were, we went up to Sydney to sell it to do our first interstate one, which is awesome, and we had a really good turnout. But in the week prior, for whatever reason, we got hit with, and I'm sure every every PT, ours is just on a slightly bigger scale because the quantity of people that we coach is probably a little bit larger than an individual coach. But um, we took a massive hit. We lost nine people in a week for no reason, just a, a churn of a business that just hit us. And I was like, what the? And it was literally the week before we went into interstate. And I, I had realized that, like I was chasing all these like bigger goals of like interstate seminars and I wanted to have like a big placing in the Australian industry as like a, a figurehead quote unquote of, of just strength training or performance training or whatever you want to label it as. Uh, but there was still a lot of holes within the business itself that just weren't filled. Um, so I went after the Sydney seminar. We also did Queensland as well, which was awesome. But when we got, when I got back, the focus just shifted. Like I've got to fix the, the systems that are in place within their physical gym. Cause at the end of the day, like chasing these bigger loftier goals, they're not going to work unless I have this foundation of the physical gym in place. So uh, it all just shifted. Everything shifted. We went hard, like, like big time on systems, communication systems, upping our service quality, upping our service quantity um, with members and, uh, also, myself letting go of a lot of responsibility within the business. I'm sure anybody that owns a business uh, has felt that where you you just constrict it and you stifle it of oxygen, and um, it, it's a bit of an ego hit to realise that you, you're the reason you've you've you're holding this thing back. So I gave a lot more responsibility to the other guys in the team, and and really I let them I let them know like you guys you guys could have a career here if we all put our heads together. Like I'm very very happy with the team, but I need your help as well. Um, and it was well received and it was fantastic. It was just a, yeah, so the, really, it was just like a breakthrough year for us, really. So we're really, really happy with it. And now coming back around, we're doing some interstate stuff this year again. I'm just, I'm sure there'll be something this year that, that hits me in the face again, but we're, uh, we're feeling <laughs> a lot better. Yeah, 2019 yeah, awesome. was great. That's awesome. Yeah. So yeah, like obviously a bit of a mindset change. And I've had, you know, a couple of those things where you, you kind of just have that, it's almost like a week that just makes you go like, fuck, this is a new direction I need to go in or this is something I need to do, which is pretty interesting. And, and sometimes it's just like turning a corner and then that sort of thing happens. Um, it's, pretty, it's pretty interesting. So you got obviously more interstate stuff happening 2020. What else is, any big plans other than that? Yeah, uh, personally. So we've, we've run an, uh, an in-house internship for since 2017. 2017, 2018, 2019. So we've done, I think, six of them in-house, um, which is a 12-week program that we just 
started running. We had three, uh, two guys in the gym when we first started who needed to do their hours for their university degree. Um, so they asked me, like, can you guys set something up so it's an opportunity to be some, do something here? I'm like, oh, yeah, why not? And then typical me was like, oh, I could turn this into something. So I just started developing this program. So we've run it six times, an in-house internship. And it got to the point where we were getting about 30-odd inquiries every intake. Wow. Um, we could only take, we could only handle like four or five, maybe six, depending on who the people were and sort of the fit within the, uh, within them coming into the gym. Cause it does influence our, our sort of front end mm. service because they're part of what we're doing. Uh, so this year, the big thing was me. Uh, the big thing last year was to sort of like, is this a viable option to set this up into an online mentorship? And just the way that the industry is starting to go. Um, it seems to be that it's going to become a, bit more of a, a regular thing for some of these bigger entities like yourself, mm-hmm. like JPS, uh, the Muscle Nerds guys obviously have been doing it for a little while. Uh, Athletes Authority have popped up. So now we're going to step into the space as well with the online mentorship, which is really, really good. Just opened awesome. it up the other week. We've signed four people this week, which has been awesome. Mm. And that's just going to run alongside our in-house internship uh, with the, all of the content just being online. Uh, delivered in an online format with an online group, similar to most of the other ways people do it. But it's something that I'm, I personally am really, really excited for, uh, for maybe some selfish reasons. I do do like educating. I do like Mm. talking and communicating my ideas. I think there are some values in some of the systems that we have from my experience coming up as a, a more like a junior quote unquote strength coach in the system after going to America and working and interning in America. I think my, my experience is slightly different to a lot of other people in Australia. So I'm excited to get that out there and, and promote that more and get those systems out because we know it is valuable to young coaches because we've had the hands-on experience with the in-house internship. So that's probably the biggest thing for 2020. Other than that, just continue to build the gym. We're probably going to make another hire mid-year as I step off the floor a little bit more in terms of the coaching roles and get a little bit more selective with uh, just my battery of clients that I'm managing as the business demands are just more and more. Because I do enjoy that. Mm-hmm. And I know this is probably one of the, the big things that oh, you sent a little question list, but 2019, like what were some of the bigger things? And I think it's just the realisation that uh, – I think business and that stuff is just a, I seem to just be driven by that. I don't know why it's just sort of happened that way, but I really, really do in like do enjoy the challenge of business. So as my client list sort of reduces a little bit in load and it gives me the opportunity to expand and, and do other things with the brand that we are building. Yeah. It's really interesting. Um, you know, obviously experienced that myself i've got my fingers in a few different aspects you know with with bigger courses with uh all that sort of stuff and it's it's hard to balance everything and at some point you kind of have to make that call of you know what like the the thing that's kind of going to suffer from all of this is going to be maybe my in-person clientele if i really want to you know dive into these areas that are, that are driving fair, me yeah. and moving me forward um so that's a it's a hard thing to do because it's obviously it becomes your identity after a while and you don't want to sort of let your in person clients down not that you're going to but you kind of feel like you are a little bit as well yeah um that's been a real interesting lesson for me over the last couple of years as i sort of moved more into online stuff and had to focus a bit more on the business being like a one-man show um it's a really interesting shift in mindset that has to happen and a lot of uh soul searching as well i found so definitely um, yeah i definitely felt that yeah for sure 
Yeah, yeah, it's super interesting. So the internship stuff's pretty interesting. I think I really like the way you communicate um, in terms of when you're teaching stuff or when you're presenting information. Do you have like a particular approach that you that you actively go after, or do you find it comes naturally, or what's the go there? Um, definitely, there's something that Charlie and I have developed, which is um, we just call it uh, context. It's not we've developed the word; we haven't created the word, but it's this layering approach that you've got to start with some form of base principle and then you just layer, 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 layer on top of it. So um, anybody that has come to any of our seminars will realize how we do it. Like at the start, it can get a little bit like slow and like we're in the mud with some of these ideas and concepts. But once you have those base, like that base understanding of, of what we're trying to sort of pitch ideas off or pitch these extrapolations of where we're going, particularly with the human movement stuff, um, with my experience of where I've learned from, uh, it can get a little bit like, whoa, where the hell are we? We get a little bit lost in the weeds. But if you set those like key context ideas out at the start and make sure everybody's on the same page, uh, from there you can really start to build and layer ideas and layer uh, almost like a story of how this thing unfolds into where we're getting. Um, I think a lot of uh, that would be one thing. And then also just realising, and I'm sure you've probably uh, experience this in some degree, but I can have, it was stupid. I went to this, I can't remember where I was presenting. I was presenting somewhere and like, I like to like talk about biomechanics and I'm sure we'll get into something today at some point, but, yeah. um, like, like the nitty gritty of biomechanics of like <laughs> relative joint actions and like internal external rotation. I can, I can get into the weeds completely, but we went to this seminar and someone had paid like 400 and something dollars to come to this seminar and I, I always go around at the start. I try to talk and communicate with everybody before it starts and like really try to get a connection so I can see where everybody's at and like where they're coming from. And I was talking to this guy and he's like, yeah, the reason I bought this ticket was um, because you, you just taught me how to posteriorly tilt my pelvis in a glute bridge. And I was like, what? <laughs> like you, paid, you paid 440 bucks for like this, this seminar of like in detail biomechanics and he's here because he's just learned how to tuck his hips on a, on a, on a hip thrust or a glute bridge. I can't remember exactly what it was. So I'm like this idea that for the most part, most people that are interacting with your content are probably a little bit lower level than you think. Um, so having some of that lower level contextual sort of understandings is really, really important because throwing out these high, high level things, you might be a little bit different because I'm, I'm assuming you get followed by some pretty sciencey dudes. But um, yeah, some of that low level stuff, it, it can often get mis. Uh, like just skip, skimmed over because you realize that or you, you believe that people aren't really taking value from that low-level information. But yeah, so uh, start mate. with context, layer it, and go from there. Yeah, I, you know, you just mentioned, you know, my audience might be a bit different. And actually, it's not. I would have expected it would be as well. And sort of the approach when I first started presenting information was a little bit, I came in too high. Uh, yeah, hundred percent. You know, it's just people just don't get where you're coming from. Then, like you said, they've got no context. Like, how? Where are you explaining these ideas from? And I still find that the stuff that gets the most engagement and seems to have the most impact on people are the simple things that you've just managed to put in, or maybe even it's just information that you've delivered in a simple way, and it just allows yeah, you to slightly presented it different. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know, like like the glute bridge, and it's like suddenly you've you've quote unquote fixed a guy's movement because you've just explained the concept of like, hey, tuck your bum under. Um, yeah. You know, it's really interesting. And uh, it's something that I try and do as well. And I think I've, I, I align with that concept of, you know, I'll, I'll give the systems in synergy um, 
example where like I came in and I'm, I'm trying to explain stuff like, okay, this is ATP and like, we've got to regenerate that somehow. And this is a concentration gradient. And I, I know that everyone's sitting there going like, what the fuck is this guy fucking talking about? Like, I don't understand what the point of this is. I appreciate try and it. Integrate that. Yeah. Yeah. You've got to try and integrate that then like, well, this is why, because we're trying to maximize how well you can learn by making sure that there's enough glucose and creatine and all that stuff in your brain. Right. Yeah. Like, it comes together at some point, but for the first like 30 minutes, people are a little bit like, where are we? Where are we? What's yeah, going on exactly. with this? Yeah. That's funny. Um, just on that, that, that exact presentation, cause Charlie and I, uh, Charlie being like my head, like my, my right hand man at strength culture. Um, we sat in the front row and you did this big, I don't know. I think it was like a two hour presentation mm. on all that sort of stuff, creatine, dendrites and this thing attaching yeah. blah, 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 and like big models. And then at the end you're like, look, I've just given you two hours of information, but it can be boiled down to eat your vegetables, focus on your sleep and hit your calories or something. Yeah. Like that's literally at the end of the day, like we can get into the weeds of all of this stuff, but the actionable items are quite often the same that everybody else is talking about. There's no, there's no glitz or glam, like not all glitters is gold. That's so right. to speak, because uh, it is really just basic at the end. It's just, as Conor McGregor would say, it's just accountability. Just, mm. you know what to do, just fucking do it. Like, <laughs> yeah, mate. Yeah. I mean, that's the hardest thing, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. The psychology. Um, we all need to be psychologists. Yeah, totally. It's, it's big. Uh, you learn that sooner or later, whether you like it or not. Um, yeah. I wanted to ask as well, though, you know, when you're putting together that sort of information, um, there's especially especially in the biomechanics world and, and stuff around you know whether it's injuries or like muscle activation or any of that sort of stuff you know we have research and it's helpful but there's also a lot that comes out of that that you would have seen a ton of you know especially with Cressy and stuff like oh he coaches this in a really cool way or this is something that he does that maybe is not in research or probably is not in research you know like yeah, how do you likely. integrate that like evidence-based stuff i suppose is what i'm talking about like where do you pull the, the art of coaching in how do you look at studies and try and integrate that where, where do you stand on that yeah so the i think the world and the industry is a little evidence-based happy right now i don't mm. know it seems to be i definitely experience it like you get people that would just be like oh like, oh, have you got a study to support that? And it's like, well, do I, do I need a study to support every, and I'm not, I'm not bashing evidence. Like if you're not evidence-based in some capacity, like you're missing a big, big part of what we're mm. try, all trying to do here. But this hypervigilance on like research evidence is like, oh, do we really, really need it? Yeah, it could guide some of the process and some of the principles underlying what we're trying to do and achieve, but particularly with like this movement space and this biomechanical space, like a lot of this is just sort of like what feels good is probably good. Pat Davidson breaks this down really, really well. And he talks about like the sensory motor control uh, or sensory motor cortex, sorry, um, of, of human movement and sensory being it should feel good to the athlete and then motor being it should actually look good to the coach. And if you can tick both of those boxes, it, it feels good and it looks good you're probably in the general space of what needs to be occurring, whether or not it agrees with um, some of what the research would say. And I know you did a, uh, an episode last week with Ben Pekulski and you talked about some of the limitations of uh, like research, like lab, lab-based research and like the, some of the foundation foundation or some of like the, uh, the what are they called? Like bookmark. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Studies or whatever, landmark studies. That's landmark it. Studies, landmark yeah. studies, maybe 
maybe they are incorrect and we're basing a lot of the principle-based things off those and, and all of a sudden we're in this dark rabbit hole of just things that don't really matter too much. Mm. And like evidence is always going to be uh, evolving and, and, and more people with different perspectives are going to come into the space and read that evidence and, and interpret it slightly different. Uh, but I think for the most part, most of the key things that we have uh, aren't going to really flip on their head anymore. Like no one, I don't think any study is going to come out and all of a sudden be like, you know what? Training one day per week is the best way forward. Yeah. Like that's just not like those sort of things just aren't going to, there's not going to be any like big rocks that are exposed and we're going to quickly change the way we're behaving as strength coaches and, and, and lifters or educated lifters in any way. So I think the, the most important thing with trying to, trying to match that uh, evidence based in terms of biomechanics and, and pain. And we can get into that sort of science. Cause again, it, it, it also almost becomes a little bit alarming. Like what, what, what do I have control of trying to match that with your actual uh, skill set as a coach can be a little bit, um, it can get a little bit murky because all of a sudden it's like, well, what influence do we really, really have on this system? Uh, like there's obviously a big psychological influence, which is definitely something that we identified at Strength Culture through last year. Like managing psychology is, is probably one of the biggest rocks that most coaches are missing in that front. And, and we can draw a lot of uh, good usable tools from evidence um, in that front. But in terms of the actual movement stuff, a lot of it is just if it feels good and looks good and it's not really doing any damage or harm or creating any adverse effects like you're probably in a good space to to continue doing that and and just because like the typical one is oh my back's rounding in a deadlift um like doesn't automatically mean you're just going to like uh cause an injury to one of the discs or whatever like it uh, like if it feels good it looks good you're progressing well you're progressing in a safe manner you're not being too uh like flippant with the the progression of either intensity or volume over a period of time like you're probably in a good space to to continue doing it. So the, the big two rocks that we look for is, does it feel good to the athlete? Are we hitting the target muscles? Are we getting the right feelings, the right sensations, the right pressures in the right area? And does it look good to me as a coach? Um, and I'll add one more layer to this. Does it look good to me as a coach? Something that we educate on with our, the coaches that come through our system is every single coach on every single, let's take the spinal flexion debate. Every single coach has a bandwidth of what is acceptable um, and just like arbitrary 100, zero to 100. And, and you might let uh, 60% of uh, deviation from what would be deemed to be great technique or perfect technique or gold standard technique. And I myself with spinal flexion, I have just because of my mechanics and my anthropometry, I've always flexed my back deadlifting. Like I've, I've never done a straight back deadlift in my life. I don't think I ever have. So my bandwidth of what I deem to be acceptable when I'm coaching people is I'm a little bit more lenient on uh, spinal flexion because I've never had an issue with it. We've only ever had one bad case um, at strength culture over four years of thousands of deadlifts, thousands and thousands. Um, so my leniency is, is pretty big. But if you have somebody who's, had back problems or had a, a, a disc fold or uh, anything on that, that case. And they've gone through that process of, you know what, um, this is terrible. Like uh, I don't want the, anyone to feel these symptoms or to experience this. Their bandwidth is going to be slightly different. And what you need to understand is that every coach's bandwidth is a, 
is evidence-based in their own right. Like hopefully they're up to date with the research, but also it's their own input and what they've experienced with their clients and, and, um, and all of the data they've accumulated that gives them X amount of bandwidth that is deemed acceptable for technique. So, and that's different for everyone. My shoulder bandwidth might be slightly tighter than your shoulder health bandwidth or something like that. So just having, being a little bit more aware that everybody, every coach is going to coach differently and be, uh, be okay with certain things and not okay with certain things. Um, but everybody's on the same ride. Like we all have everyone's best interests at heart. Um, so it is a little bit of a murky area. And as more and more research comes out with this whole biomechanics thing, does it really, really matter? Definitely for performance. That's a, that's a no brainer, but for this life health side of the world, um, it can get a little bit like, well, what can I do as a coach to actually influence this stuff outside of psychology, which is, yeah. A big part, as we discussed, a big, big part. I hope that, Rab, that. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Sense. I think that's yeah. awesome. I think that's really good. I think that addresses a lot of stuff. And, you know, um, just on the psychology piece, I think a really big part of the responsibility we have as coaches is to help people to view themselves as robust and adaptable rather than, yes. you know, this is this is the only way you can do it. And if you move outside of these parameters, ooh, you're getting risky. You're asking for trouble. Yeah. And then you throw those uh, those big words like uh, disc, like avulsion and big yeah. like medical terms and all this sort of stuff, and then all of a sudden you just get into this catastrophizing down spiral yes. into into no man's land, and all of a sudden you've created a problem, and you're like, well, "How has this started?" Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Not not a good place to be. <laughs> no, not at all. Um, yeah, it, it can get pretty intense. Uh, so I wanted to ask you, you mentioned uh, working with a high-level athlete before. I assume you're meaning Mr. Crozier there. Yeah, Big Bilba. Yeah. <laughs> so if anyone doesn't know, he's a, he's a very strong man and a very high performer. And, uh, you know, it's obviously, I'm sure it's probably a bit intimidating coaching somebody like that. But I wanted to get a sense of how you go about that. I mean, generally, when you work with a more advanced athlete, it tends to be more of a, of a partnership than a, and I'm sure that's sort of more. Well, that's the biggest, goal. yeah. <laughs> um, but I just wanted to get a sense of how you guys go about, like, how do you end up, what, what are you looking after with the coaching? Uh, where's your input coming? Yeah, so um, Will came, Will reached out. It was funny, I was on an online like uh, lifting group from an old coach that I uh, used to work under, Tony Bonvecchio from America. And they, they've got like 150 people in this group. And I was the only, I think I was the only Aussie, or there's one other guy from Geelong because um, I did a 12-week bench program under him. Uh, and then one morning I woke up and he's like, oh, tag me. He's like, oh, sorry, Jamie Smith, you're no longer the strongest man in the group. Welcoming Will Crozier in, blah, blah, blah. Because he did it. And I'm like, what? Will Crozier? <laughs> I clicked on it and then Will obviously followed me after that. And he's like, oh, I've, I've followed some of the stuff that you guys have put up. And we just started chatting. This was nearly two years ago now. And it was just easier for him because some of the biomechanical sort of stuff and a lot of the PRI influence, which we may get into, the breathing stuff, um, was the reason why Will had gone to this coach to help him with some of his management of his body. Because as you would expect, somebody of that size and uh, just that force output has got a few niggles going on. Um, so he was like, oh, it's just good to have somebody in Australia with time zone differences that I can just communicate. And we just went back and forth for like 12 months. And 
And then we were going to America. We actually booked a trip to America together. And he was like, well, look, I don't really want to have a coach when we're in America. We're going to be there for six weeks. Um, and it's going to be a little bit up in the air of what we can do. And like, depending on how much travel we've done and like, uh, and all that sort of stuff. Like, I'm not sure how I'm going to manage my training. I'm like, look, man, like we can just work together. We're both coaches. We're both educated. We know we're going to be fine. Um, and he's like, all right. So then we did, we planned a small block prior to that together. And then over in America, we sort of just managed it. We got a really, really, really good result. Um, far better than probably both of us were expecting with all the six weeks of travel prior mm. to the competition because it was just tagged on the end of the, the holiday, the, the comp. Um, and then we got back and he's like, look, I'm going to Pro Raw um, in March. So we had six months to work together. And he's like, you want to take me all the way through to Pro Raw? I'm like, let's go. So we're in the middle of that now. We're just, uh, we're about 10 weeks out. Uh, so that's how it sort of came about, which is cool. Is it just sort of fell in the lap. But I mean, you got to take those opportunities when they come because I'm sure we've all been presented with what could be seen like, oh, am I good enough to handle this person? But mm. trust the skill set. Like you, you should as a coach, you should be confident that you can help these people uh, regardless of where they're on the timeline. At the end of the day, the principles, the governing principles are the same and the application is the same. It, can't, it just has to be slightly more fine-tuned and a bit more individualized for somebody of that skill set. But as you said, the biggest thing working with those high-level guys, because we've built some um, through the gym, but never has one just like, come in with all of this experience but the biggest thing is just using their information and their data alongside your decision making process um and the program sort of just write themselves it's sort of just the objective view of the situation as the coach which is really really important for these sort of guys because they can get so subjective in the way that they're feeling and the way weights are moving and the way certain numbers should feel and all that sort of stuff that just hitting them with an objective, Hey man, shut the fuck up. Like you're fine. Like, yeah. like that, that's sort of where it, where it falls for the performance spectrum. Anyway, the, the, um, I, I'm not a big nutrition. Uh, I don't, I don't call myself a nutrition coach or anything like that. So I wouldn't handle any of that sort of stuff with him just by the pure size of him. I'm lucky that I've got him in a, time where he's moving from 110 to 120 weight right, class just, so uh, the, i think the nutrition plan is just slam down as many peckish uh, rice crackers yeah, as possible peckish crackers yeah <laughs> he eats like six and a half thousand calories a day or something yeah. when he's in his when he's in his prime time so um yeah just eat eat bro <laughs> <laughs> more carbs yeah. but it's been a cool experience like it's it's uh it's been awesome, but it's also awesome to see that hey man, the principles work. Like you just follow the principles, manage the athlete, and you're probably going to get good results, um, regardless of where they sit on the uh, advancement level. Yeah, yeah, totally. I think that's a really important lesson for anybody listening. No matter what level you're at, those principles they don't get overridden. It's you refer back to those always, and um, yeah, you know, a lot of the time it is with people in coaching. Um, we've spoken about it in the, the sort of prior question, it's like, you, you kind of know what to do, but having the coach there that gives you the objective feedback and the accountability is what gets you over the line. You know, um, yeah. you can get to in your own head, no matter what level you're at, no matter how much, it's almost like the more knowledge you have, the more you screw yourself up thinking about what you're doing and overthinking stuff. And if you have that coach there to go like, look, dude, like it's fine. Just do the session and you're not too fatigued. It's cool. You know, yeah. whatever it is. 
100 yeah. percent. i think also we talked about the evidence-based thing earlier but just tag that on there i think a lot of young coaches feel that they feel like they need all this i need i need to have 400 references for each decision that i'm making it's like oh hang on slow down like again we know some of these like key things that they're just going to be there they're, they're the right things train hard train consistently track your volume in some fucking way like you, you you'll be all right like yeah the yeah. principles stand by the principles yeah absolutely absolutely so much agree with that um yeah, yeah man uh so look I, we talked a little bit about some of the the um biomechanics stuff and and you mentioned the the posture restoration institute there so i think maybe let's transition into chatting a bit more about that um let's start with with the the breathing piece i think that's something that probably most people associate with pri how did you first get into that stuff and how has it kind of evolved how you think about breathing and bracing and movement in general the pr pri posture restoration institute is uh it's like a continued edge sort of course um, that discusses human movement in a way that I haven't really seen or, or experienced anybody talk about human movement. And it sort of breaks it down into like the two key things to do with like human evolution, which is our gait cycle. So walking and then breathing being the two, the two main things, having this upright torso trunk thing, as opposed to like a quadruped or like a, um, a, a, yeah, a quadruped position where the trunk is horizontal to the ground. So we have a gravity forcing uh, gravity forces being up and down on the system rather than splitting the system in half per se. Uh, so the, it really goes into like, what are the key principles for locomotion and what are the key principles for breathing and how does that apply to other things? And how, what are some of the compensatory patterns that can be put on top of maybe systems that aren't, doing either of these things in what we would deem to be optimal. Again, what is optimal bandwidth idea, but um, the concepts that they talk about just seem to have a really, really good application into strength training. I was first influ- uh, I was first shown some of the principles by when I was working under Eric Cressy and their team there. Uh, and then I did a couple online courses with the Institute and then uh, some in-house ones in just outside Sydney somewhere. This was early, like 2016, maybe, when I first got home. So I've done a handful of their courses. And again, it's one of those things where it's very easy to get caught in the weeds and like, how is this applicable? But when you break it down to the key principles, it actually makes a whole lot of sense. So when we're talking about like the breathing sort of thing, you got to think about like, what is our respiratory system? And, And at the end of the day, our respiratory system is, all it is designed to do is to gas exchange in the lungs. That's all that it wants to do. The system, our ventral cavity is designed to get air in, get oxygen to transfer over, get carbon dioxide back out. So when you break it down to that, it's all right. So what is occurring within this ventral cavity? So we have some pressure changes. So we have internal pressure forces that are occurring inside our body 24 7 breathing i don't know the amount of reps of breathing we do per per day but i'm I'm assuming it'll be somewhere in the tens of thousands um so there's tens of thousands of opportunities where we have pressure changes occurring inside our ventral cavity now ventral cavity for those who aren't too um too in tune with the anatomy of it is sort of divided into two sections we have the thoracic cavity above the level of the diaphragm and then we have the abdominal cavity below the level of the diaphragm and the diaphragm sort of sits in between and just alters the pressure in both of these cavities to either draw air in or expel air out 
And yeah, there are some ex- uh, accessory muscles that, that influence that system as well. But for the most part, the diaphragm is the key player that controls the pressure changes within the ventral cavity. Um, and then when you apply that, so there's your, your respiratory one-on-one, when you apply that into like a powerlifting sense or into a lifting sense, we sort of get into this realm of like stability and, and uh, like performance and like where, where does this help with uh, our application for performance in terms of like a lifting sense. And I'm biased towards powerlifting, obviously with the powerlifting gym, but um, we start to get into the, all right, so this diaphragm can alter pressure. So that means it can sort of, uh, we can alter the system as a whole and we can compress that, 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 air or we can compress that space to increase pressure and then increase pressure stiffens up the system and then all of a sudden we can transfer force better and that's where this idea of intra-abdominal pressure comes in um, which I think is missing half of it because we also have this thoracic idea as well mm-hmm. so we could have an increase in intra-abdominal pressure but as a result we decrease thoracic pressure or we can alter the the we could flip it like flippy flop it on its head and increase thoracic pressure by decreasing abdominal pressure. But for a lifting standpoint, we need to increase ventral pressure. We want everything up. We want to stiffen everything up. So having an understanding of how we can position the system and the axial skeleton, the axial skeleton being like the, the spine and the rib cage uh, relative to the hips, we can position that to get the most benefit or the most bang for your buck out of a good inhale to increase pressure within the ventral cavity. And that's sort of where it starts to apply. That's in the performance realm. In, so, in, so, in terms of like the health realm, um, like a lot of like ancient sort of, like meditation is the big one that jumps out of my head, but like they're, they're centered around the breath. And I think that's a, a really, there's something to that. Mm. Uh, like a lot of our little, um, what would it be called? So like when you're anxious and when you're, when you're a little bit hyper driven and, and you're, you're sort of like running around in your own head, everyone just tells you, take a breath, slow down, exhale, get the air out, like relax yourself. And that is because respiration at, at the end of the day, like we're altering chemistry as well, biochemistry, we're altering carbon dioxide and oxygen partial pressures. Um, we're, we're changing all of that within the system. And as a result, our, our respiratory system has some form of an influence on the nervous system. It has some sort of influence on your psychology. Uh, and it's a very, very quick way that we can alter those sort of internal systems of the body that all have influence on themselves and all obviously uh, all obviously creating the experience that we're currently having in all sorts of situations. So taking that time to sort of center yourself and find those positions where the diaphragm can sort of descend and ascend in somewhat of a path of least resistance uh, we've found with our guys has been really, really big for not just the performance realm, but giving them the opportunity to calm themselves down, mm. uh, coming into the session and sort of like that ritual where you're beginning your training session. And for some of the bigger guys who have some pretty high numbers to hit, it's sort of just like bookmarks the start of the session. Like, Hey, we're, we're coming in here. Like let's focus on our breath work. Let's get ourselves ready and start that ritual for what we're actually trying to do. Um, there's a whole bunch of, how the axial skeleton can influence the appendicular skeleton of the shoulder and the hips uh, in terms of like the positions and the, the relative orientations of sort of those sort of things, which we can get into if you'd like. Mm. Um, but for the most part, that's sort of why we landed on this focus on breath work and, and it's influence in our population anyway, but I think it's incredibly uh, valuable to everybody out there. I'm sure like, 
do you do much breath work? Do you meditate? Do you do any of that sort of stuff? I know your partner does a lot of like the stretching mobility sort of things. Yeah. Is breath work involved with that? Yeah, she's very big into breath work. She's actually putting out yeah. um, some like an online course just to help get people into that. And, you know, one of the interesting things that she said to me was like it creates the breath is this opportunity to create a buffer between external stimulus and your internal state. It's that space in between it which is exactly what you just described. It, it, you know, it's what you allow to affect the system kind of goes via that moment that you take to breathe in a way. Um, yep. And so I think that's really interesting that, you know, when we're thinking about performance, there's, there's cycles that happen throughout, whether it's a session or a game or a, a track meet or whatever it is, where sometimes you have to be ready to go and, and like amped up to the nth degree. And in between that, you kind of have to bring yourself back down to earth again and using the breath as part of that is actually incredibly helpful. Without a doubt. It's sort of like, a, it's like an anchoring sort of thing. Yeah. It, it, I, I really like that. And that external and internal load influences, uh, and it's a reason why we push RPE-based programming so, so, so heavily. The, the athlete's perception is almost more important than what the hell you've actually just imposed yes. on the system. That external stimulus, there's this wall, and once that external stimulus is just an objective stimulus, transfers and sort of by osmosis into the internal wall into the internal system that is completely different for every mm. single person five by five the, the basic one that we always use five by five at 80 percent for somebody is going to be an rpe 10 that is going to be the hardest thing they've done all day in their training cycle forever but for somebody else that's an rpe negative five like mm -hmm. and, and that five by five stimulus at 80 percent once it crosses that buffer zone into the internal like you need to learn to manage this internal and, and part of that is yeah, definitely yeah, centered around breath work. There's a few other things like meditation for our guys. Like we, yeah. we do push meditation um, and having the awareness of what the hell's going on in your head is really, really important. Um, so yeah. And, and I like that. That's a really good, I'm probably going to take that the idea yeah. that it's the external, it's the buffer zone because that's exactly what meditation is. It's like a buffer zone with your thoughts. It's, something has happened and it gives you the opportunity to like, Oh, actually I'm going to react. I'm not going to react. I'm going to accept that. I'm not whatever, but it's all an internal dialogue that's occurring inside you. Yeah. yeah I agree. I thought it was very insightful when I heard that. And it's certainly something that I find is very helpful myself. Um, like, I mean, I even, it, it comes into the random situations. Like I got a, a, a big tattoo done <laughs> yesterday, you know, I saw that the yeah. day before and it's just, you know, I was able to sit there for, you know, three and a half tower, uh, hours of just having this fucking thing blasted into me. And honestly, the pain or, or whatever it was, was not an issue whatsoever. Not that it was a particularly painful spot or anything like that, but it comes into these situations where it's almost like that stuff, you, you feel like a rock in a river with stuff flowing around you if you know how to mm. enter that space. And you've got to, it's the same as any other thing that Skill. you do in the gym. It's reps, you know, you've got to practice it. You get good at yeah. it. You, you know what it feels like. And then you can kind of enter that much more easily it's really interesting yeah it's a skill it's like anything yeah absolutely you just train yourself train yourself to have that awareness and have that ability to to not let things perturb you mm. just for the sake of them perturbing you yeah yeah I, so that's um, how we got into breath work <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah exactly um but i think the the meditation piece is interesting as well you know it's something that i use quite a lot because um you know just speaking about buffer zone i, I did want to mention that i have quite a few online clients and by far and away the biggest thing that I have to deal with outside of like giving them macros or whatever it is, is 
hey, I have trouble sleeping or I have trouble winding down or whatever. And I've found that that kind of thing with the, the, the sort of breath work in a meditation style thing, whether it's like a yoga nidra style of thing or whether it's just like a general mindfulness kind of thing has been a key aspect in helping some of these people like switch their, yeah, wind their down. mental state and wind down. Um, yeah, absolutely. You know, with, with a world where you've, you've got that sort of dopaminergic reward center constantly being engaged by a million different things. I've spoken about this before, what I call decompression time. What I heard was a really good one from, from someone on a podcast once where he said it was uh, detachment time where you're, you're, you're taking your attention and detaching it from something. Um, and I find that that giving that space and kind of helping yourself to reset a bit has been really, really key for the sleep thing, which influences your recovery, which influences how well you can train. Everything. Yeah. Yeah. yeah um, so let's, let's talk a bit more about some of that other stuff you were mentioning with the, uh, you know, the, the actual skeleton and then the, you know, further out. Um, I think obviously you deal a lot with, with powerlifters and the, the typical presentation of a powerlifter is, you know, retraction, extension, that kind of thing, um, which cool performance that, that might be the way we, we want to go, but maybe that's not conducive to good movement. Could you speak more a bit about that? Yeah. So the typical presentation of somebody that likes to lift heavy weights doesn't really matter what style they like to do, whether it's bodybuilding, powerlifting, whether it's barbell, dumbbell, um, or whatever. Just when you throw a whole bunch of external load uh, on the system, we sort of move into this pretty typical positions and patterns. And that is because if you talk about like, um, when we talk about, uh, again, it's a stability question, but when we talk about this, continuum of, of available ranges of motion. So degrees of, of freedom within joints. So let's take the shoulder per se. If we're trying to do a bench press uh, and we're over a, a period of time, we are uh, increasing training volume, training stimulus, getting stronger. We're expressing more force and all of this sort of stuff. We don't want a system that has a whole lot of degrees of freedom within it because it's just more range of motion that we have to control. It's more active stability quote-unquote active stability that we need to uh, have within the system to stabilize everything so that we can express force because that's what we're, that's our end goal is to get tension on muscle groups so we can express force and we get adaptations and we get stronger. So anybody that likes to lift weights, if you get to a point where you're very, very good at lifting weights and you've built a lot of muscle and, and you've done uh, a fair amount of consistent training, the body is going to slowly start to reduce those accessory ranges of motion just because it's unnecessary for the end goal of producing force because that's at the end of the day all we're doing in the gym. So the typical presentation, and again, I'll say typical because not everybody's going to fall on this and depending on where you move, uh, sorry, depending on sort of like your genetic skeletal makeup because uh, there's actually some really cool research on that stuff, particularly with a rib cage and, and how it's shaped. Mm. But depending on... Uh, whether or not you have a certain type of skeleton, but also how strong and how much muscle you've built, uh, you will just start to reduce ranges of motion. You'll start to find stability, quote-unquote stability, in extension positions more so because most of our training is done in extension postures or with extension moments. We think about squatting, when we think about deadlifting, when we think about pretty much everything except for reaching, as we'll probably get into the discussion of uh, as this topic sort of unfolds but pretty much everything within the gym is extension driven 
to some degree, which is rib cage goes forward, everything else goes back, and then we try to do our bench press or we try to squat or we try to deadlift in that position. Then if you throw external load on top of the system, everything is pulling us down. Where you want to stand up, that is extension. So everything is sort of driven into these extension moments and then it just becomes this pretty typical presentation that we see with most people, which is a forward rib cage, shoulder blades are back, externally rotated uh, in terms of the appendicular skeleton so that the, the humerus and the femurs are more driven towards external rotation. And whether or not that's a bad thing is where, whether or not where you sit on the health to performance spectrum. If you're heavily down the performance end, yeah, well, that's where performance lives. It's not a bad thing. But giving people the opportunity and the understanding of sort of maybe how we can uh, monitor and at least manage some of that extension-driven performance end and get a little bit more health-centered in terms of increasing ranges of motion, maybe decreasing some of that sympathetic drive, um, teaching the, somebody how to actually exhale and get that axial skeleton to compress back into somewhat of a, a more neutral state that has relative changes in both exhalation and uh, inhalation qualities uh, is a really, really important thing. Um, but in terms of the biggest thing, as you, with the question you said, where the health and performance sort of spectrum where you sit on that, um, I like to think about it like two parallel lines and one being performance and one being health. And yeah, we can sort of get performance outcomes and, and for the most part, it, it probably comes along with more uh, healthy adaptation so for most people when they start training they're going to get a performance increase and they're going to get health outcomes as a result of that but the further and further you get into training and the further and further you get into performance eventually those lines start to diverge and chasing greater amounts of performance comes at the sacrifice of uh the health qualities take somebody like will crozier yeah he can become a 1000 plus kilo total powerlifter but that comes with putting more muscle on, having a bigger system, training with more training loads, eating more calories and all that. And that is a stress to the system. So whether or not we can chase this huge performance goal without sacrificing some of that health is specific to the person. And you're never going to be able to get, uh, you're never going to be able to go down the full end of performance without sacrificing something on the other end. Like it's just going to be a trade-off. Um, some of that is presented physically in terms of like ranges of motion, maybe pain or, or niggles or any of that sort of thing, uh, where other things might be like more psychological, can't see it, internal systems, cardiovascular health, um, and all that sort of stuff. So uh, I can't remember where we started with that. Appendicular, appendicular. <laughs> but did that answer some of your questions? Yeah, yeah, that's beautiful. I think that's really nice. Oh, that, the ranges of motion. Yeah, it absolutely uh, just it's a good orientation for people, I think. Um, and to start thinking about things in those sort of broad categories and think about what they're actually trying to achieve as well. Um, certainly as someone who went down the path of bodybuilding just by default, because I like how it feels, um, you know, I started to notice that my range of motion was being hindered and some stuff that I like to do as well, like, like just go for a jog or whatever was suddenly fucking killing me. You know, it was it's not so anymore. much. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah you've you lost know, that. And so I decided to do something a bit about that because I kind of wanted a bit more balance there. But it was a real change in mindset for me. And I, I kind of didn't even consider it until I started having issues. So I think it's a good thing to discuss. So like with, with Will, for example, or with anybody along those lines, is there's 
obviously you've got to do the performance work. Is there extra work you do? Um, obviously the breathing is a big piece of it, but anything else that you do as kind of a maintenance or to try and bring him a bit more health back? Yeah. Uh, so in terms of like range of motion, like the, the easiest one to sort of visualize in your head, um, like the biomechanics of, of joint function. So if you, so let's take, let's take a shoulder and, and a typical shoulder should be able to express 90 degrees of external rotation in a prone position and around about 60 degrees. So we have a total arc of about 150 degrees of internal, uh, of total rotation in the transverse plane of the shoulder. If you are somebody who likes to lift heavy weights, as I said, we'll get into this position where the, ant, the rib cage sort of draws anteriorly and, and we extend the back in some capacity somewhere along the line it's going to extend. Shoulder blades are probably going to sit, as a result of that, more together and retracted. And as a result of all of that, the arm is sort of going to start to bias towards external rotation. What we'll then see is something on top of that, which is going to be some sort of compensatory movement, which is going to for, uh, force the humerus to tighten into internal rotation. Because of all of this external rotation, with life occurring in front of us in our hands, we're going to start to get this compensation of internal rotation occurring from the distal portion, being the humerus in the glenoid. And as a result of that, the position, the orientation of the axial skeleton, being the rib cage, and then its relationship to the shoulder blade, we may then see either a limitation in external rotation because of the internal rotation forces of life having to bring us back all the time, which is the typical extended IR position that people like to sit in, or we're gonna get a limitation in both ranges of internal and external rotation. So the key thing to, uh, because of just, we've got so much uh, force occurring at the shoulder that we've lost the range of motion potential for that individual. Somebody like Will would be a typical presentation of this. Most big guys, I'm sure if we assessed you, but also you do some other stuff on the outside, so maybe not. But most big guys are gonna have a limitation in external rotation and a limitation in internal rotation. When we view that from the point of the humerus rotating, so the arm rotating, but what we can do is we can change the orientation of what it's rotating in. So the shoulder blade, the glenoid, if we bring the rib cage back in space and we bring it a little bit more, quote unquote, into a neutral position, by nature of doing that, we've probably changed the orientation of some of the muscles and some of the structures around the shoulder, which may allow us to express more ranges of motion. And I can guarantee you this, everybody that most people that live listen to this podcast and absorb your information are probably into lifting weights. Yeah. Um, if you just assess yourself, lie on the ground, flatten your back, put your arm by your side and try and do internal rotation of the arm. And it will be, it's somewhat limited, but most people will be, it will be limited. If you then go and do what we call a 90-90 hip lift. So it's a, it's the most basic level PRI drill, which is really just positioning the torso and the trunk into a little bit of flexion. So getting away from that external uh, extension-based position, getting it into a little bit more of a flexion-based position, allowing some of the abs to control the ribcage and pelvis, bringing the ribcage back, quote-unquote, in relative space, so taking it from its driven anterior position into its more posterior shift. We call it ribcage retraction, retracting the ribcage, and then go back and do your internal rotation. You will increase 20 to 30 degrees. Have you changed any structure no, you have not. All you've changed is a slight orientation uh, shift of the rib cage relative to the scapula and the scapula relative to the 
the humerus. And we can increase ranges of motion pretty, pretty quickly. And this is where, is mobility something that we really need to train? Maybe not. Do we just need a better understanding of the positions that our body is in, potentially? And if we have those understandings, can we put good mobility-based drills in place? Yes, it probably looks less like the Kelly Starrett model of band pulling and, and foam rolling and all of that. And maybe just a, a little bit closer towards positional awareness um, and understanding how one position affects other positions within the system because we are this regionally dependent, um, interdependent system. So what we do with most of our guys is reaching-based activities. Um, there's heaps of content on this all over our um all over our streams everywhere. We've got blogs on it. We've got YouTube content on it. There's something on your membership site mm -hmm. um, and our Instagram as well. But we do reaching-based things. So when we think about like a pull-push, that ratio of two to one that some people promote, but when you think about it, it doesn't make any sense at all. Uh, if we continue down the pushing continuum, we get to reaching. So we identify pushing exercises with pulling the shoulder blades back and producing force forward, so like a bench press, a dumbbell press, or anything like that, reaching exercises would be something that allows the shoulder blade to actually move around the rib cage. So if you were to do a push-up plus, so that, that part where the scapula is like really like abduct and move away from each other, that protraction position, um, overhead positions with a fixed axial skeleton, so not letting yourself extend, um, landline presses, push-ups, Overhead presses, they're probably the big three that we utilize. But you can do all sorts of stuff. You can do cable press variations. But allowing um, the rib cage and the scapula to move in relatively opposite directions. So rib cage moves back while scapula moves forward. And controlling that position with a full co-contraction of the abdominal wall is generally what you would do. So that can look like anything. That's the principle. That's some of the underlying reasons why we do it. How does that apply and how are the methods used? Again, take it for what you wish. We typically do, uh, so we have two like accessory or supplementary exercise slots within the week that are typically reaching patterns. Um, so like push-up variations or anything like that. But we hammer a whole bunch of core work. Like we love core work. I don't think it's going to make or break anybody's um, performance outcome, but I think it really, really does help to get a better understanding of what the rib cage and what the hips are doing relative to each other, how to strengthen that relationship, and then how to apply that in other uh, avenues which which is important so uh, that's sort of how it would look reaching patterns without a doubt breath work and actually doing some well-centered core work yeah awesome uh, fantastic man that's a really great explanation i i like the idea and, uh, you know i think for a lot of people because they're so unused to doing that stuff it's actually really low-hanging fruit for a lot of people you know you, yeah you don't need to do a lot of it and you'll get good at it much quicker than you expect because i think you know like a lot of people, if you go some of these models where it's like, okay, I want to improve my mobility or whatever it is. And then people are looking at already training, you know, whatever, six to eight hours a week or maybe more. And then going, Fuck, I need to put 30 minutes of stretching on top of that every session and all of that. And it just becomes something that's untenable for most people uh, and something that they don't put much effort into. But if you can give someone fucking two minutes of breathing at the start of a session, like, hey, all of a sudden you're getting so much bang for your buck. Um, so I think it's a really nice way of introducing stuff that way. Yeah, it's also, you can also buy some of your more accessory-based lifts. So like split squats, um, a lot of the lower body standing variations, like split squat variations, even like RDLs, um, things where the high, high end of performance isn't the, the end goal. It's more like muscle feeling and, and getting the, 
the burn or the pump or whatever for hypertrophy reasons, a little bit more voluminous focused. Um, you can also position that uh, or, or bias your axial skeleton towards that position. So using SSB bars instead of high bars. Mm. So the high bar position is obviously just driving ribcage forward, but back into that same position. We can go to an SSB bar where the arms are in front. We can reach the shoulder blades back a little bit. And all of a sudden, um, the split squat becomes sort of like a two-in-one, a catch-all for both of those. We get a nice good ribcage reorientation, but we can also slam your lower body lifts uh, and, and slam the quads and the glutes with your variation in split squat. So you can also piece them together like that if you really wanted to or at least not influence your training too much yeah the ssb awesome. bar is your best uh best accessory barbell for powerlifting without a doubt if you're not using the ssb bar in some capacity you're missing a, you're missing some options there yeah awesome very cool um sweet man so what's uh what's next in 2020 for you are you going to go back to the states this year um, I think we will. Me and my girlfriend want to go to Mexico. So I think we might tag a, a week on to um, New York. I do love New York. I want to live in New York at some point. I don't know how I'm going to make it work, but <laughs> at some point I want, to, I want to live in New York, at least for six months. I love it there. I've been there three times now and cool. every single time I just have more. Have you ever been? Yeah, we uh, we went last year for about a week and I've, I've only done a day trip prior to that, but um Man, it was stinking hot when we went. We were there inside oh, for really? a wedding. <laughs> so I was just cooking. Uh, so it's yeah. hard because obviously you, you do fuck whatever, 30,000 steps a day, just walking everywhere and checking the place out and just so exhausted by the end of the day and definitely yeah. had to try and fuel myself with a lot of like cookies and whatnot as, along the way. <laughs> <laughs> eat, the, eat the cows, easy low-hanging fruit cows. Um, but uh, yeah, so I'll go back at some point, I, I think this year, maybe not for what we did last year, which was six weeks, mm. um, um, but definitely go back a little bit. I think some of the networks that I have there are, are valuable as well. Yeah. So I would like to keep them, um, definitely like to keep, keep them and make sure, make, make the effort because at some point I think those guys are going to be helping me take that next step as well, um, which will be awesome. So that would be one thing that we're doing for 2020. But for the most part, as we discussed at the very, very start of this, it's just continue to develop the business, get that to a point where uh, it, it's, it's just rolling and, and it gives us the opportunity as coaches and, and sort of somewhat of a, I don't want to like, we have an influence on some other people that are coming through the inf industry now. So just continuing to give that the opportunity and the, and the credit or the, the oxygen that it needs mm. to, to continue to grow and to continue to, um, to become something that I know it can become. Um, so 2020 is the big thing for me is the mentorship at the start and then just continuing to build, build on that process that we started at the start of 2019. That has been, uh, that has been great for us. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. What do you, um, with, with goal setting and stuff like that, do you, do you do explicitly like big goals and then break that down? Like, do you have a particular way of, of setting that stuff up or do you kind of go like, this is the direction I want to head in. Let's just like put the head down and, and do some work or how does it work? Yeah, I'm, I'm definitely more the second, the second option there where you just sort of, I'm going to just put this thing here, whatever mm -hmm. the hell that is, X, enter X. For me, let's use mentorship. Put this online mentorship here. What are the processes to get there? All right, I sort of need to develop what is my training system? head down, two months, every single decision I've ever done, why we do what we do, and then it becomes this nearly 100-page bloody written thing and then trying to get that into like pieces that are, again, like contextually. So I'm more like that where I just like 
what's the goal? What's the first step? Just start on the first step. Yeah, cool. Always keeping the goal in mind. I don't really write things down too much. I do use a thing called a power list, um, which I've stolen from Andy Frisella. Uh, if anybody knows who he is, got a big following, really good business mind as well. Um, so he does a good podcast if you're interested in that. It's more down the David Goggins end of motivation, but it, mm-hmm. it does, it, it, it aligns with me and it helps me. But um, a power list is typically just, five things at the start of the day or the day before you write them in a list. Um, and if you complete all five things, you win the day and they can be anything. And, it, and the only rule is that it can't be on the list two days in a row. So you can't put something down like eat my vegetables. Like that's not a power list item. It's more so like reply to those two emails, um, write two pages for this, make a social media post, blah, 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 whatever it needs to be. And you just tick them off as you go through. And once you've won the day, you don't actually have to achieve anything else to, to have a positive day. And if you achieve all of those things before 11 a.m., say, uh, you've still won the day. Like, it doesn't matter what you do after that. You can turn around and be like, today was a good day. I'm going to add to that. And when I find that I get a little bit lost, because I'm sure most people feel that, but I get a little bit lost in sort of like, what am I doing? How's this? Where's this building? What am I actually trying to achieve here? Um, having those little small lists that you just tick off, bam, bam, bam. Um, and winning the day and then stringing that together to win the week. And I come home and I talk to my roommate. I'm like, oh, yeah, man, did you win your day? And he's like, uh, yeah, I won the day. And I'm like, yeah, fuck, I know. It's like it becomes this thing. Me and Charlie do it as well in times. But um, in terms of like productivity and at the end of the day, that's what goal setting should sort of center mm. around. Actually, what can I do to be productive and actionable with these items that I want to achieve? Uh, that is by far the, the biggest thing that I've implemented. I'd implemented that a couple of years ago. But I often find myself when I'm lost, I go, fuck it, back to the, back to the power list. Let's go right at the day before and just, just get through them. And some days they're, t- they're difficult to get done because you've maybe put too much on your plate, but you get better at sort of understanding how much you can handle in the day. But that's definitely something I would recommend to anybody. Um, and that's sort of how I go about things. But yeah. Yeah, amazing. What about yourself? You, you, you achieve, you achieve a, a hell of a lot from the outside looking in. How, how do you have it all structured? Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm, Mate, it's all, it's all process orientation, which is pretty much what you just described. You know, you have an idea yeah. of where you want to head, but at the end of the day, it's about doing the stuff daily that's going to get you there. For me, I find, um, which might, might help as a bit of an addendum, I like that list idea. I love that. Um, what I tend to find is that I give myself these big goals when I'm trying to put together like a big course or something uh, or read a bunch of research or whatever it is. Uh, you know, if you, if you say to yourself, look, my goal is to do, 45 minutes of deep work on this then it's very effective because you're just efficient for that amount of time and then you feel like you've won the day or won that task when you do the 45 minutes it's not dependent on you finishing reading that paper or finishing writing a lecture it's dependent on you doing 45 minutes of good work just doing 45 minutes yeah Yeah. and then most of the time i end up getting the stuff done that i want to do anyway but if you don't you don't feel like a failure um yeah which I, that's how I do it. And I find that was like the biggest switch in my mindset was giving myself those things. And then, yeah, it's process orientation, man. I, I'm not a big person of like, let's use the, the smart goal setting framework. Like some people love that and I think it works very well for some people, but it's just not something that resonates with me. I just find it a little bit too out of my hands in a way. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, that's the um, because we've started playing around with uh, one of the other coaches, Jamie Buziotis, our head of strength and conditioning. He brought in um, this OKR system, objectives mm-hmm. and key results, which has actually been really. I've actually enjoyed that as well, which is more down that second that that thing there. That's not the smart, but more so 
you set a time timeline on this is achieved by this date, uh, and then it's broken down into like a like big goal and then three smaller goals, and then what are the objectives that I need to achieve to achieve the smaller goals, which eventually achieves the bigger goal. And they're they're a bit more on a, a, a greater time scale. They're like a three month sort of thing that that unfolds, and that's actually been really good just to get it onto paper a little bit more broken down, like big goal into smaller goals into actual actionable items, um, but. That's another strategy that we've started to implement, which I think has value within a team setting for sure. Uh, because yes. we all sit there on a Monday. Yeah, we all sit there on a Monday and we're like, all right, what were your OKRs? How'd you go? Who was a shit cunt? Well, I shouldn't probably yeah. say that. Who was- <laughs> so, I don't know. <laughs> that's, how we, that's how we are at the gym. But yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, I think, but no, I think you bring up a good point. It's like, it's a little bit different if you're working in a team or whatever, you know. Um, yeah. But yeah, that's that's good. Gives you a bit of accountability. Nobody wants to be the shit yeah. cunt. Nah, exactly. Thank you for backing that up. <laughs> yeah. yeah, all good. Man. Uh, yeah. Listen, dude, this has been awesome. I really, I love talking to you. I love the way you communicate. I think you're doing great things. Uh, much respect. And and for a lot of the stuff that we spoke about today, you've got a wealth of information out there. Melbourne Strength Cultures blog. The, I send your YouTube videos for the 90-90 breathing in particular. I send that to a lot of people because I just think the the demonstration of it, the explanation is the best thing I can find on the internet. So uh, yep. I really appreciate Thank what you. you're doing. Um, what's uh, what's all your social media and all that sort of stuff? Yep. Uh... Well, firstly, thank you for sharing our content around. We do appreciate it. And thank you for supporting myself and, and the gym because it, it is cool to have some of the bigger people in the industry or what I've deemed to be some of the bigger people with a bigger reach and, 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 a, and a good active following supporting us. So thank you. But um, where you can find us, melbournestrengthculture.com is uh, just com, not AU, but just Google it, you'll find it, uh, is where the hub, that's our website. You can see everything on there. There's links to our YouTube channel. There's links to our blog. There's links to our podcast, which is a little bit more down the uh, shit talk realm than the, the hard skills realm. But uh, that's something that we wanted to do with that. But um, everything's on there. Our seminars, uh, which we're going to Sydney in at the end of March, at the start of March, sorry. And we have our Melbourne one at the start of Feb in about three weeks' time. Uh, where we discuss day one is our movement stuff and then day two is all of our programming considerations that are laid on top of that and actually performance outcomes. Uh, that's there as well. Uh, just get that plug in. You know what it's Got like. To. Got to. Um, and then, yeah, just melbournestrengthculture.com. For myself personally, uh, j.smith.culture on Instagram. But if you see Melbourne Strength Culture, you'll see me somewhere there. So it won't be that hard to find. Awesome, man. Thanks very much for coming on, mate. We'll chat soon. No, thank you. Thank you for having me.